you were not here last week. Those of you that were here this week, <clears throat> or last week, and got to uh, see some of the jokes that went along, hold off, don't say anything, so that everybody else can catch the joke as well. I got some neat things in here that, uh, that I put in there myself. And uh, we'll look at some of those things here today. I would like to announce that uh, I shared with uh, Charity the possibility of coming on the 24th of Sunday, uh, Sunday the 24th uh, this month, for, for the salad and soup uh, luncheon uh, fellowship. And so far there are six that have signed up. So six plus us three, my wife and I and Caleb will be here. Are you going to be there? Yep. Do you need notes? What's that? I said, Yep. Your mom's coming too. Good, maybe. Oh, maybe. Oh, we'll pray that she'll be here. Yeah, we need her here. You betcha. So looking forward to that. So some are, are going to be there. Um, in way of prayer request, uh, Lisa just came to know the Lord as her Savior recently. She attends at Charity. Her daughter works at Cracker Barrel on the east side of uh, 25. I think there's two on 25, isn't there? Cracker Barrel's in there, one on the west side too. There, that's what I thought. I remember seeing one on the west side of 25, but this is on the east side of 25, and she works there. And uh, they had uh, Michelle, one of the girls that worked there, traveled out to Illinois to a wedding, came back, and uh, she died in an accident. And so we went over to Cracker Barrel to kind of comfort her a little bit. So, so pray for them that maybe, uh, in fact, uh, she does not know the Lord as her Savior, uh, Lisa's daughter. And so uh, maybe through this that she might come to know Christ as her personal Savior. So we could pray for that as well. And then some of you also know that Pastor uh, Westlink and I had the opportunity to go to Phoenix, Arizona for the Pastors Fellowship. I enjoyed it. Uh, Kevin Bowder was an upperclassman to me my freshman year at Faith. I think he was a senior when I was a freshman, or maybe he was a senior when I was a sophomore. But he graduated early in my college experience at Faith. And then he went on, became uh, got his doctorate. I'm not exactly sure where. I know where he got his uh, M.A., uh, from is from from faith, but uh, I'm not sure about his MDiv and doctorate. But he went on, got his doctorate, and became the president of, of Northland there in uh, Minnesota. And uh, he's been the president there for a number of years. And then he took a sabbatical. He's writing a book on the history of the GARBC, which was very interesting and, and uh, uh, powerful stuff. And it reminds us of our history, where we come from, and uh, came out from liberalism. Um, it's really hard to believe that someone can call themselves a Baptist and not believe in the deity of Christ or, or in eternal security or, or anything like that, or even, even at the early beginnings of the Baptist Bible Union, they believed in the gap theory, which we're covering in this lesson right here. They strongly believed in the gap theory, and that broke things apart, which started then the GARBC, because there are people that held to that, didn't even believe in the deity of Christ or, or in the inspiration of Scripture. And uh, that's why some of that's why I'm uh, covering some of this stuff. I mean, I'm excited. I have some uh, several camps coming up this summer. Pray that this series, these seminars, which I call them during camp, uh, will will uh, be an encouragement to some of the young people and and stir their hearts and help them to realize the importance of Scripture, importance of the Word of God, and holding true to the Word of God, and that it doesn't just contain the Word of God; it is the Word of God, and that's where it all began in the early days of of the Baptists during World War One. Uh, uh, it broke out, and then at the end of World War I, we had some men come in, start the Bible Baptist Union, which, which uh, then uh, they, they, they 
they uh, tried to change things, uh, but then soon we get men like Shields and, and Norris and, and all kinds of interesting battles that we came out from saying, hey, you know, we're not going to stay in the Northern Baptist Convention. We're going to step out. Others tried to stay in and try to clean it from within, but they couldn't do that. But the GRBC stepped out and said, no, we're taking a stand. And then we start the New Evangelicals and, and all those and, and uh, how we stepped out in, the, in fundamentalism and took a stand on the Word of God that is true and that we believe God's Word is true and that every jot, every tittle, uh, we can believe that it's going to come to pass and uh, some powerful stuff. Anyway, while we're there, um, there was another professor. Um, I'm trying to catch, remember now his name slipped from my mind here. Tetro, Dr. Tetro, he's a, he's a, has a college there in the Phoenix area and uh, Pastor Kirk Westling knows him and he asked him if he wouldn't be willing if he would mail him his book for him to read his book and to to impossibility, and there's a possibility that he, he might even be able to come and, and present his, his position there at the college, which might might really get things going and excited, get colleges buying his book. Maybe he'll even go out and, and start doing some seminars and things like that. So let's pray that way, that something could happen like that. So let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer as we get started here tonight. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your love, your watch care. We thank you for the word of God and how we can take a firm stand upon it. That's not just a book written by man, but rather it's God-breathed. And because it's God-breathed, we can take a stand that the six days of creation, they happened six literal days, only 6,000 years ago as we study your word. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth and that we can stand upon it and that we know that our God's a living God, that he's not dead, he's alive. And that certainly we can serve you and worship you with all our lives. And Father, we praise you for it. Father, we think of Lisa and her daughter there at uh, Cracker Barrel and, and how those at, at, at Cracker Barrel are hurting over the loss of a friend, that one that slipped into eternity so unexpectedly, only 21 years old. Father, we, we just pray that maybe something will occur, something will happen, that, that those that are there will will somehow hear the truth of your gospel and the truth of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for Lisa as she talks with her daughter and encourages her to help her to realize that, yeah, we can find hope, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that maybe you'll use this tragedy to shake her heart and help her to realize her need of a Savior, and Father, we'll praise you for it. Father, I thank you for the opportunity of being able to go to the pastor's conference, get to meet some of those men there at the uh, Arizona Association of Regular Baptist Churches. We thank you for that opportunity to see friends, to meet those that we've never met before. But Father, also to talk, talk to Dr. Tetro and, and uh, Kevin Bowder and the opportunity for pastor to send his book to them and that they might review it and read it and may, maybe a possibility of being able to, to go to the college and to present uh, the Word of God and, and to present what God's laid on His heart and how God has worked in His life and that maybe it might turn out into seminars and opportunity to speak in churches all across America or even worldwide. We just pray, Father, that You'll allow this to happen and that people will see Your Word and to realize that Your coming is so near, so close, advancing the watch. Father, we pray that You'll make this happen, that Your will will be so evident and clear and that we'll see great things take place as a result of it. And Father, we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
like to encourage you to open up your notes there and open up the Word of God as we look here today at why creation, spoken by God or evolved by chance, did it just happen? There are people today that say, you know, it just happened. It was just an accident. And as you look at that, I, I look at it as the view that as young people and even adults look at their life, they can say, well, I'm just an accident. I'm a mishap. I'm just an animal. There, there's no God interested in me. I just live my life however I want to, just, just make myself as happy as I can. It doesn't matter if I do things with my own ideas, and, and uh, there's no standard. I just live my life however I please. I'm an accident. I'm a mistake. Same thing with... Uh, 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 Evolution, when it comes to the Grand Canyon, you know what they say in the Grand Canyon, they say that uh, just a little bit of water over billions and billions of years, the canyon is what happened. <laughs> you and I know that, that, that that's not the way it happened. It didn't happen that way. In fact, there was a whole lot of water with a very little amount of time made the Grand Canyon. And that's where it came from. As you look at the Word of God and you see God's anger and the, the deep being broken up and we see the mountains all around us and, and uh, all that we call beautiful today as we look at the horizon as a result of God's judgment on sin. And it certainly looks beautiful. It's pretty awesome out there. But you've got to realize that's the result of sin. As you look at uh, uh, Pastor Westling's book on advancing the watch, we know that uh, during, during the millennial reign of Christ that the mountains are going to disappear. And uh, so enjoy them now. They're going to be gone pretty soon. Enjoy them now. Uh, we get to enjoy them now because it's going to be different. The same thing in Israel. Uh, people always say, oh, I'll, I'll see Israel during the millennial reign of Christ. Well, it's going to be totally different. It's not going to be the same. You need to go now to, to get a picture of the way it was during the days of Christ. And, and uh, it's kind of, it's really important. So if you got the idea, well, I'll go, I'll go to Jerusalem and Israel and Bethlehem during the millennial reign, it won't be the same. It's going to be different. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to go. Enjoy it now because later it's going to be gone. It's not going to be the same. So let's look here at this seminar very quickly. I know there's some that do not have all these filled in. I want to give them time to do so. And then we want to continue on at the end of the seminar. First of all, we looked at the foundation of creation. Uh, found in Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through, or chapter, uh, verses, yeah, 1 through 6. We've got creation in six literal days. It wasn't just, uh, just a million years or a thousand years. Uh, there are three flags that proclaim six literal days. And as you look at Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 1 through 6, you find out that there are three flags that are used in the Hebrew to, to identify the word day is literally six day or six or 24 hours. It's not uh, 24,000 years. It's six literal days. And those three flags are if you ever find morning next to the word day or if you ever find evening next to the word day or you find a number next to the word day, you know that it's a 24-hour period. Because once you find morning and then you come to the next morning, 24 hours are gone. So you know what God is saying is, I created this world in six literal days. Not 6,000 years, not 6 billion years, but six literal days. Definition of the word gap theory. The gap theory says that between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the, the gap theory says that there are millions and billions of years. In fact, they say that, uh, that there's a pre-Adamic race and that there is when the animals lived on earth, even before um, Adam and Eve. 
and then you have the context does not leave room for a gap. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, it specifically says that God created this world in six literal days. The clear teachings then of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says that when God created this world, he said it is very good. It's very good. And God couldn't say that it was very good if there were millions and billions of dead things laid, uh, you know, laid under thousands of layers of dirt. God couldn't say it was good. Death all around. Death all around. But then we have the doctrine of sin taught in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us, Wherefore is by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That verse is telling us that there was no death until Adam and Eve partook of the fruit that God told them not to. And when they partook of the fruit, that's when sin and death and despair and wickedness all came into the world. It's all because of sin. So there was no death. There were no pre-Adamic race. There wasn't dinosaurs billions of years before Adam and Eve. Everything was created in six literal days. And when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, all men have become sinners. And uh, people ask the question, well, why death? It's all because of Adam and Eve's choice. They chose it's not because God's looking down, and that's what we're going to look at next week. God doesn't look down. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He doesn't look down and say, well, who can I torment today? He doesn't do that. It was our choice. We chose to sin against God, and we being an Adam have partaken of that sin, and because of that sin, we have death, despair, and, and wickedness, and, and moaning, and groaning, all because of sin. It was all the choice of Adam. Romans 5.12 tells us, that there was no death until Adam and Eve partook that fruit. So we know because of that, first of all, the gap theory is wrong. <clears throat> but then there's also the definition of the day-age theory. Also held by scholars years ago in the uh, Baptist Bible Union and other things uh, earlier in the 18, 1880s. And, and it wasn't until the 1901-1902 that uh, started to break out and to claim that uh, of creation Day-age theory says <clears throat> that a day is a thousand years, as a thousand years is one day, and they say that uh, each day is, is an age or thousands of years, and of course the verse that I just gave reference to, that wherefore is by one man in Romans, and we also look at the two days of creation that I like to look at. This is what I like to look at, is, is creation on day three. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, God created the plant life. He created trees. He created leaves. He, he created all the plant life that we see in the world today. But then on day four, and I think, I think God did this just for this purpose. Just, just to be able to, to laugh at those who, who created this day-age theory. Because on day four, he then created the sun, the moon, and the stars. So if he created on day three the trees, the plant life, and the, and the flowers, and, and all, the, all the shrubs, and, and then thousands or millions of years later, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, what's going to happen to all those plants? They're going to die. They're going to die. It's not going to do us any good. And uh, so they're... I think is one of the proofs, and also Romans, the book of Romans, it tells us very clearly that uh, there was no death until after Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. There was no death before. And so we know that the day-age theory and the gap theory is clearly not true. 
And then there's a question that was even brought up during the scope trials. And, you know, I gave reference to the fact that even as a college student, as I was leaving high school and going off to college, um, I knew that there were, there were answers I didn't know. But I quickly found out not only are there not answers I did not know, there are also questions that I didn't even know was a question. I had no idea that this was a question. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, we know that Adam and Eve had, had daughters and also sons. And so we know that Cain got his wife. It was one of his sisters. Some think that maybe it was even uh, a nephew. Or a nephew, yeah, a niece. <laughs> you caught that, didn't you? <clears throat> yep, my wife would have caught that too. So first man in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, and uh, we know that that man uh, means that, that it was from Adam. She was a woman from Adam, the word itself. In the Hebrew, it makes it very, very clear. You cannot miss it in the Hebrew. This was clearly, clearly Adam's daughter. And we have the last Adam and the first Adam. And all descendants of Adam in Acts 17, verse 26. And then I have a couple pictures here because I know there's people today that, that believe that there's all kinds of different races in the world today. In fact, I had an opportunity there in the state of uh, uh, Missouri. I went down to get some propane and there was a, an African-American that was there, a black man. And he came up to me and I told him who I was. I needed some propane. I was a missionary evangelist. And, and he was so excited. He said, I ju we just got a new pastor. And this new pastor has made it so clear and it's so exciting because he's telling us that at the Tower of Babel that when 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 the Tower of Babel was built and God came down and confounded the languages he also made several different races and so I'm from a different race I said oh man you've been fooled you've been lied to because you know Adam the Bible shares with us that when Adam sinned that he is the first Adam. The second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, get this, Jesus Christ died for the sins of Adam. And so if he died for the sins of Adam, he didn't die for your sin. That means you're in trouble. You're in a whole lot of trouble. But I want to tell you that there's just one race, and it's called the human race. We're all from Adam and Eve. And if we say that we're not, that means Christ didn't die for you. He only died for the sins of Adam. So that, that puts you in a very, very, very terrible position. That means Jesus didn't die for you. And so I like Ken Ham. He's got some interesting things here. He looks at uh, lots of, uh, um, and I, I have a terrible time pronouncing this. The word is melanin. Melanin is the color of our skin. We all have some melanin. All of us do. Some are lighter, some are darker, but, but we're all. And so when you look at capital A and capital B put together, you, your skin is very, very dark. But then if you have little A and little B, your skin is very light, like me. I've got very light skin. And some, some have even lighter skin than I do. Pastor, does he sunburn real easy? Yeah. I don't sunburn as much as others. some people do. But uh, because my skin's just, a, I, I, I tan real nice. I usually don't burn if I take care of it. But some people, they burn very quickly. Caleb burns really easy. Uh, depends upon how much melanin you have in your body. And so then when you look at it, where, where was Adam and Eve? Well, if you put Adam and Eve in this position up here, where it's very light, all little A, all little B, there's no way everybody that comes from Adam and Eve are going to be light-skinned. But then if you put them darker skin, all, all, all capital A, all capital B, everybody's going to be very, very dark melanin. But instead, Adam and Eve was right here in the middle.
middle, right here, mid-tone, little, little uh, capital A, and uh, little, little A, little B, and the capital B, and, and kind of there in the middle, well, then you're going to have some darker skin come from them. Depends upon uh, the, the descendants, and then also lighter skin. We're all right there, right here in the middle. This is where Adam and Eve was, and uh, because of it, we have darker skin and lighter skin, all because Adam and Eve had light skin. And that's where we get all the different colors from the people in the world. And so, you know, when you look at the Word of God and you, you believe the Word of God as simply as what it says, everything has a very simple answer to it. You can clearly explain it. But if you believe that we're just chance, you have to take all this lavish ideas of how things happen. And that's why I believe that it takes more faith to believe that we just happen than it takes for us to believe that God created this world. And uh, so there's some pretty, pretty exciting things here. We also want to look at the consequences of creation. And as we look at the consequences of creation, here in Romans chapter 1, I, I looked at this and I saw this and it, it was like a, 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 a bag of bricks hit me over the head. This is incredible. Let's look at, at the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Here in Romans chapter 1, and in Romans chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 18 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which, which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God had showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So I gave reference to the fact that if we have somebody that's living in dark Africa or living someplace in a remote area that's never heard the gospel before, the question is, will God send them to hell? The answer is yes, because of here in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, tells us that they are without excuse because of creation itself. Do you realize that creation is what's going to send the hell, going to send a lost sinner to hell for all eternity? Creation. And that's why Satan is attacking it so much. He wants to attack it to make it look, look strange, to, 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 to make it so it's unbelievable, that, that people destroy it and, and knock it down and say, oh no, there's no God. It wasn't created. And Satan is working so hard because he knows that if he could trick somebody into believing that it just happened and there's no God, that they will go to hell for eternity. And that's what Satan wants. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to spend eternity in hell by himself. He doesn't want to suffer by himself. He wants company. So he's going to do everything he can do to lie to you, to deceive you into believing, oh, it just happened. There's really no God. We're not answerable to him. Just live your life however you want to. You're just an animal. When you're dead, it's all over. Oh, oh that, that's what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe the lie. So his invisible attributes are seen, his eternal power is seen, his Godhead is seen, his condemnation of sinful man is seen all through creation. Creation itself will condemn a lost sinner to hell for all eternity. That is powerful stuff. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Then we looked at here the firmament above, the moon, and uh, my idea here was, was to, to, to bring us to a point well, we realize how awesome our God is. We, we serve an awesome God. We do. He is awesome. And uh, not only is he interested in me, but look at what he created. 
As you look at the moon, the moon rotates around the earth. A month is made. The earth rotates around the sun, and a year is made. And then we have Antares in Scorpio, the constellation of Scorpio. And and, uh, this is interesting. This is what I wanted to bring out as we look at this picture here. Here we have the, the sun, our sun. Look at that little dot right there. That is our sun. I can't even hold it still enough to point to it right there. That's our sun. The earth isn't even there. Can you see yourself somewhere on there? Probably not. It's pretty small. But that is our sun. And then Antares is right here. It is a star in Scorpio. And Scorpio is found to the south, southeast, or excuse me, southwest. You could probably see it as the sun goes down. You can see it to the southwest. And it's got all the, the Antares is, is right here. It's actually the heart of Scorpio. It's right there. And look how big it is. It is huge compared to our sun. And then we look at uh, Beelzebub, and uh, uh, Beetlejuice, I'm sorry, Beetlejuice in the Orion constellation. I got two pictures here. Back to this picture again. Here's Beetlejuice. And to give you an idea how big it is, Beetlejuice is twice the size of our orbit around the sun. Twice the size of our orbit. So if our sun was sitting here in the middle, Earth would be right here on the edge. That's how big Beetlejuice is. It is huge. That tells us that we serve a big God. And here is the Orion. Beetlejuice is found right here. The Orion can be seen as you look out to the east. And it should be seen about 8, 9 o'clock tonight as you look to the east. This is what's interesting about the Orion. We had a, a lady in our church out in South Dakota who was from Puerto Rico. And there in Puerto Rico, they viewed the Orion, and they looked at the three stars in the belt of the Orion. Here's the belt of the Orion. There's three of them. And they think that's a picture of the three wise men that came from Bethlehem. So as you get closer to Christmas, the higher Orion appears up in the sky. And so they looked at that as the uh, three wise men coming from the east and arriving over Bethlehem. And kind of interesting, interesting little facts but uh, that they believe in Puerto Rico, or they look at that as the three wise men, or the three wise guys, whoever you want to call them. And uh, that, that is Beetlejuice. We serve a great God. And then, of course, Earth is in the Milky Way galaxy. We've just looked at the constellations, and here's a picture of the galaxy. That's huge. Boy, is that huge. And our God created all that. He created that. We don't serve a little God. We serve a great God. He is awesome. He's an awesome God. And He's worthy to worship. He's worthy to live for. Then we looked at the finite facts. And that is information such as DNA. DNA. Information. I understand that in our bodies there's enough DNA to fill the uh, Albuquerque uh, library more than once. And uh, I also looked at paper. Piece of paper in the woods. If you find a piece of paper in the woods with writing in it, you know that somebody had written that. Somebody that has intelligence because it didn't just happen, right? It didn't just happen. And I like to look also at a rocky mountain. You, you know how in evolution they believe, well, over billions and billions of years, this is how it happened. And so this is a little joke that I had. As you look at that little mountain there, evolutionists would say over billions and billions of years, all the rain, all the sleet and everything, that wouldn't you find something like this? <laughs> Probably not. That, that wouldn't happen, but that's what the evolutionists say. Isn't that what they're saying? 
over billions of years. But, but, but that can't be. There, there's, there's intelligence here, isn't there? Isn't there a, a somebody that, that, that knew these four men? And, and you look at that and you realize, that well, that didn't just happen. Well, that's what evolution says. Oh, that, that just happened. Caleb and I were walking through one of the state parks, and we saw this little bench made out of wood that was from the forest. They had, a, I think it was in the redwood forest, or it's where all those big, what are they called, sequoias? Sequoias, those huge trees. There was a bench there made out of sequoia trees, and so Caleb and I were joking, and we said, I wonder how many years that it took for that bench to form there. Isn't that what evolution says? Oh, it's just over billions of years. It just happened. No, it didn't just happen. There was somebody who, who had the intelligence enough to cut the tree and to, to design that bench, right? Well, then, why does the world look at the things around us and say, well, that just happened? No, it didn't just happen. Uh, to, to look at Mount Rushmore that way, that it just happened, that's what the evolutionists would say. But it didn't just happen. There's somebody with intelligence. And the same thing with creation. There's somebody with intelligence who created this world, created you and me. And then we have the small details, and that's laminin. Laminin is what holds us all together. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus holds everything together. And you know, when I heard and saw laminin, the first thing I thought was Jesus. And the reason why the first thing that I thought of was Jesus is because that's what laminin looks like. Looks like the cross. Looks like Calvary. And that's what holds us all together. Jesus says that he holds us together by the word of his mouth right here. It says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. He holds everything together. So not only is he an awesome God to create the world that we live in, and, and, and Betelgeuse and, and all those huge stars that just overwhelm us, but he's also great enough to take care of the most small details of our lives that we can't even see. What an awesome God that we serve. He's an awesome God. Then we looked at here, the faithful application. The faithful application. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 41, we find here that the cross, a stumbling block. This verse in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through, 20 through 41, it uh, shares with us about the stumbling block and, and uh, also about foolishness. And let's look at it here. This is uh, what, we, what we came to look at today in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. We want to look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. We come to the question then, what about creation? Why is creation important? How can we use creation in the method of evangelism? Creation evangelism. And... Um, we want to look here at two different, different uh, uh, scenarios that people in the Word of God used evangelism to reach the lost. And the Bible shares with us that, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Well, first of all, the stumbling block. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, chapter 2 and verse 22, we looked at this last week. Let's look at it again, Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 22, I call this um, confrontational evangelism. This was confrontational. Peter comes up and he confronts the Jews. 
in this scenario, in Acts chapter 2, we've got Pentecost. There are three different groups of people. First of all, you have the Jews that lived in the area. Secondly, you have Jews that, that moved in from the area for Pentecost and, and uh, to, to view what's going on. And then you also have the Gentiles who then converted to Judaism, and they're there as well. So you've got three groups of people, and these three different groups of people in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, it says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, and approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. He raised the dead, he made the blind to see, he made the deaf to hear, he healed the sick, and, and even raised the dead. He proved to them that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye, you, have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You crucified the Messiah. You took the Son of God, you put him on a cross, and he died for your sin. But he didn't stay in the grave. He arose. He conquered death. He's the Son of God. He died for you. And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to reject him? As you look through Scripture, you find out that these Jews already believed these things right here. The Jews already believed that Jehovah, Yahweh, was the one true God. They also believed that God was the lawgiver. They knew about the Ten Commandments, right? And we know about the Ten Commandments very quickly. Number one, one God, only one. Number two, two gods, thou shalt serve no other gods. Only me shalt thou serve. Don't make any graven images. Number three, what is it? Watch your words. Number four, go to church. Go to Sabbath. Worship me. Honor, honor my name. Number five, honor father and mother. Honor father and mother. Number six, Thou shalt not kill. Bang, bang. Murder. Thou shalt not kill. That's number six. Number seven, one mommy, one daddy. Important to remain faithful and pure before God. Remaining a virgin. Number seven. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Most countries, or rather foreign countries, that if you are caught stealing, they cut off your thumbs. So number eight, put them both together with both thumbs covered up, and thou shalt not steal, because if you steal, they're going to cut off your thumbs. Number nine, thou shalt bear no false witness. Here's a guy right here, number, number, uh, number nine, he's lying, got all these witnesses over him saying, this person's lying, he's not telling the truth. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness. And then number ten, I like this one, no give me, give me, no coveting. Have you ever been to Walmart around Christmas time? And you got this little boy or little girl that's standing in the line. I want that, Mommy! Give me that tree! Give me I want that! Have you ever seen I know you guys have never done that. But, uh, yeah, no, give me, give me. Yep. There we go. They knew that God gave the law, and they also knew that Adam fell. And because Adam fell, that sin had a penalty. They knew all these things. But what they didn't realize, that the Messiah had come. That's why it says that Jesus was a stumbling block. They're walking along this road, this crossroad. And here's the cross, here's Calvary. And they're coming up and they trip over it. It's a stumbling block. He's really not Jesus. He's not the Messiah. Look where he's born. And they're all confused because they don't realize that he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. They didn't check out the history. 
But, the, but Scripture proved that he was the Son of God. He raised the dead. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear. And, and he proved to them, hey, I'm the Son of God. He said, and I, I, they're going to put me on a cross. I'm going to die. In three days, I'm going to rise again. He told the, 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 his disciples that many times. But they never did catch it. What the Jews needed to know. Well, they needed to know that Christ is their creator. He's the creator. And that Jesus is the Messiah. And that Jesus paid the price for their sin. That's what they needed to know. And when you look at Pentecost, how many people did it say that were converted and trusted in Christ as their Savior? Over 3,000. Wow, what a revival. I'd like to see that. I would like to be involved in that. People that realize, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. What a revival. Oh, man, Peter knew how to preach. He knew how to share with them. And, and he used confrontational evangelism. Some people call it ready, aim, fire. That's what he did. <laughs> he said, you put him on a cross, and what are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust him, or are you going to reject him? Well, the other half of that verse is what we're going to look at, and that is that to the Gentiles... It was foolishness. So here we have the Jews going this way, and they stumble over the cross. But then you have, you have the Gentiles. They're coming from the other direction. They're headed this way. And as they're coming along, they look over at the cross and say, Oh, that is foolishness. And they just keep on going. Because they look at it as, Hey, you know, that's not true. That's not true. They're coming from totally different direction. And what is their problem? Here, the cross is foolishness in Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in Jesus. And they took him and brought him unto Arapagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou being certain strength things or strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. And so here we have Paul sharing with them the truth of God's word and, 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 and uh, declaring who Christ is. The cross is foolishness. What the pagans believed. Well, these pagans, first of all, believed everything evolved from earth itself. Pantheism. Everything evolved from the earth. And that everything is God. Look at this. And that sensuous pleasure was the chief good of, of, of uh, existence. I mean, as long as you're happy, as long as you're full of pleasure, as long as, as everything around you is a God, and, and you just do whatever you want to do. And then we have pantheism explained, another form of evolution. You, you know, people think, well, evolution started with Darwin, didn't it? No, Darwin just made it popular. He, he, he looked at the past, looked at what was already being claimed and said, and Darwin, he just made it popular. He made it popular for everybody else to believe it, put down all the instructions and, and everything. And then we have even the gods evolved from some primordial substance. Isn't that evolution? 
I mean, even the gods itself just popped out of this, this scum. You're, you're just a scum bucket. That's all we are. That's what evolution says. And <laughs> a scum bucket. I'm not a scum bucket. I'm created in the image of God. God loves me. He's interested in my life. But, but that is what the, the Greeks believed. Well, what is it? What, what the pagans needed to know? Well, this is what the pagans needed to know. The pagans, first of, all, first of all, needed to know the one true God created the world. In Acts 17, verse 24, Acts 17 and verse 24, it says this. Let's first of all look at verse 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, these are their gods, these are the idols that they worshipped, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. There in Athens they had several gods that were set up, these idols made of stones, and uh, some believe that what was taking place here, that, there was a, that, that they started to think, well, what if we missed one of these gods? What if we missed one? Maybe there's a god out there that we missed. And you know, if we miss one and we make him angry, we're in trouble. So, so we've got all these gods all set up here in our temple. But let's make another one. Let's build another one and just put the inscription to the unknown god. Just, just in case we missed one. Some believe that maybe it was even a comet that came and didn't burn up and they just set it there and put this inscription to the unknown God. We, we don't know for sure. But then Paul comes along and he says, I saw this, this inscription to the unknown God. And he says, let me tell you about that God. Let me tell you about the God that you missed. He is the creator of the world. And he sent his son. He started from creation. He started from the beginning, which they denied, which they ignored through pantheism and ancient evolution. They denied all that. And he introduces them to the Son of God. By one man, sin came into the world. Acts 17, 26. Look, look at the next verse. Verse 26 says, And hath made of one blood. Do you see that? One blood. That's where, that's where Ken Ham gets that song that Buddy Davis wrote. One blood. Here's the verse. One blood. All nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. For they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. One man. One blood. They must believe in the one true God. In verses 27 through verse 30. 27 says that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him. And find him. Though he be not far from every man. Verse 30. In the times of this ignorant God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Believe in him. Trust in Him that He is the true and loving God. That they must believe in the resurrection, verse 31, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that He hath raised Him from the dead. Remember the verse, Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved talks about also 
In Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart to believe unto salvation, that we might have eternal life, trusting in Him and Him alone, believing in the resurrection, Acts 17.31. Believe that He did raise His Son from the dead, that we might have eternal life. Now, as you look at that, and as you look at the text, you only find two or three at that time that came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you think, wow, Paul was a failure, right? Not, not when you consider the audience that he was talking to. Because Peter was talking to Jews who already believed in a true and living God. He just had to convince them Christ was the Messiah. But then, Paul, he was talking to, to individuals who didn't believe in a God. Believe that the world just happened, that it just evolved from nothing. He had a different base to work with. Now, my question to you is this. Are we preaching to a congregation like Peter preached to? Or are we preaching to a congregation like Paul preached to? Paul, Paul, we're standing in a world that doesn't believe that there's a God. Which means that we need to start with creation. God says that creation itself will condemn them to hell for eternity. Some people think, all oh, creation is not important. I want to tell you it is important. Satan is trying to just convince us that creation has nothing to do with it, but it has everything to do with it. That's where we've got to start from. We've got to start with the fact that there is a God, and that God does hate sin, and that they need to repent of their sin today. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God and for how powerful that it is. Father, I pray that we can take this information and use it for, for the opportunity to share with the lost soul the truth of the gospel, to introduce them to the Savior, that some will come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Father, help us to realize the importance of creation, the importance of your word, that your word is true, and that we should hold it dear, covet it, and realize that every word, every jot, every tittle is going to come to pass. Father, I pray that, that we can use these and this information in, in, in our witness and in our lives and also to encourage us to realize how awesome you are. Father, help us not to forget that not only are you interested in the big things like Beetlejuice, but you're also interested in me, laminin, that which holds us all together. And all you have to do is speak and this world will literally fall apart. Father, help us to realize that we're in your hand. And help us to live for you and serve you with our hearts and with our whole lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.